Today's episode of On the Shoulders of Giants is brought to you by Best in Vermont Tours and Charters. So, have you ever wanted to have a fun night out on the town with a group of your friends, but no one wants to be the designated driver, and you cannot all fit into a single Uber, and you're worried about DUIs? Our friends at Best in Vermont rent out their 14-passenger van and driver for you to do just that. Have fun, but have peace of mind of not having to worry about the driving. Best in Vermont offers transportation services for weddings, bachelor and bachelorette parties, birthday parties, corporate events, and any other type of event where you need transportation for a group of people. Their Brewhop Brewery Tour Service also provides a fun, relaxing, and unique opportunity to visit Vermont's best craft breweries and get a true look into why Vermont is a leader in the booming craft beer industry. The bottom line is, they handle the driving so you don't have to. So visit them at bestinvt.com. That's B-E-S-T-I-N-V-T dot com. And now, on with the show. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. There were only about 50 breweries in the United States in the 1980s. And by 2011, there were 2,033 breweries. But that number more than doubled, and by 2015, the Brewers Association recorded over 4,300 breweries. That same trend has occurred in Vermont, and with 9.4 breweries per capita, Vermont is ranked first for number of breweries based on population, and is recognized as the undisputed leader in the booming craft beer industry. My guest today is Andrea Gagne, the CEO of one such craft brewery that started in 2010. Andrea left a successful career with a large pharmaceutical company to assume the role of general manager for a startup brewery based in St. Albans, Vermont. The startup is called 14 Star Brewing Company and has rapidly become known as one of the most sought-after craft brewery brands in Vermont. The company was founded by two Army War veterans that served time in Iraq and Afghanistan who wrote the business plan during downtime between patrols. It's not often you have the intersection of war and beer culminating in a happy ending. Andrea, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giants podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Andrea, uh, you and your brother Steve, who founded 14 Star Brewing, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? Uh, Where did you guys grow up and what was your childhood like? Sure, sure. Uh, we grew up right around here in Franklin County, Vermont, um, in a little town 
called Highgate, which is about 10 minutes north of St. Albans. Um, St. Albans is we're about 30 minutes north of Burlington. And uh, we grew up in Highgate. Um, our father was um, in the Vermont Army National Guard. That was his career. Um, he joined the Vermont Army National Guard when he was 19 and continued to have um, a career that spanned almost 40 years with the Vermont Army National Guard. Uh, he went active um, when we were uh, in elementary school. So pretty much most of our childhood, um, we had uh, a military presence in our lives. Um, we grew up pretty normally. Um, you know, we lived in a uh, on a street with a bunch of other kids. We rode bikes and, and um, played ball until it got dark. But we, we always had uh, this role model of, of our father, who was an extremely hard worker. In addition to um, being in the Vermont Army National Guard, he always did other things on the side. He had other part-time jobs. He um, was often the person in his social group that people counted on when they needed to have things done around their home. Um, he's always been extremely busy, even, you know, only being in the National Guard. He was always always found things to do and, and uh, ways to help out in the community and, and with his with his friends and family. And so did you and your brother Stephen go through the typical high school to away from home college experience? I stayed local um, after high school. I went away to college for a year and then came back, married and, and had two kids. Stephen, um, after he graduated from high school, um, went on to Norwich University and he uh, was there for a couple of years, uh, then decided he was going to go active army. So he left Norwich and did um, a tour with the army where he was in South Korea, uh, as well as a few other places. When he finished his, his tour, he decided he was going to go back to school. His original major in, high, in college was history. When he went back, he decided he was going to switch to business. So that kind of put him at a disadvantage or he was going to be losing some of his credits that he had earned previously. Uh, so in two years, he had to essentially do three years worth of um, schooling. And he did. He did it, and he did it well. He excelled, and he was in the Corps of Cadets there. So when he graduated from Norwich, he commissioned in the Army and was able to stay local uh, for a while until um, he deployed to Iraq, which his first deployment. And just before he deployed, he got married, and uh, while he was deployed, he came back just in time. Actually, he came back the day his wife gave birth to their first child. Oh, that's uh, His great. daughter, Madison. <laughs> it, was, it was ironic how it happened. Um, he, he came back, and uh, they went home, and uh, so a few hours later, he was sleeping and she woke him up, it was time to go. So his entire leave, granted he only had two to two and a half weeks here, he was actually able to spend all two and a half weeks with his daughter. So, uh, But he did have to go back to Iraq, and by the time he came back, she was seven months old. Wow. I'm pretty sure he was delighted to be reunited with his family. Yes. When he came back, he was actually stationed down in Rutland. And Rutland is about two hours south of St. Albans, where his wife and daughter were living. So... Rather than to commute, he rented a, a small apartment down in Rutland, and he would stay down there during the week, and he would come home on the weekend. So where did the beer brewing come into play? We used to call him the little professor. He's always been extremely interested in learning about things that he didn't have any knowledge of. Um, when there's something that piques his interest, 
he will go out of his way to learn as much as he can about that subject matter. Um, and so when he was between his appointments and when he was in Rutland, he learned um, a lot uh, to do a lot of things. He he can build custom guitars. Um, he taught himself how to screen print. He uh, and then he when he was in Rutland decided he was going to start uh, learning how to make cheese. It's another artisanal um, craft here in Vermont that that some people that has become pretty popular. Um, and Vermont artisanal cheeses are winning awards all over the world. And so Stephen uh, taught himself how to make cheese, and he also taught himself how to make soap. And um, one thing led to another, and pretty soon he went from making cheese to learning how to make beer. So in his small apartment in Rutland, he was brewing beer um, to the point where he really didn't have any furniture in, in the apartment. It was basically a bed and a chair, and everything <laughs> else was brewing equipment. <laughs> and he was getting lots of positive feedback from his friends and, and family members that were trying his beer. So um, when he came back to St. Albans after his, his time in Rutland ended, he came back to St. Albans, he and one of his buddies were making beer in his basement, primarily because they just really enjoyed having good beer and, and the process of making it and experimenting and, and learning about different flavors and, and what the different ingredients and, and all of that, uh, how that changes a beer. Um, and then they deployed to Afghanistan. Um, and I believe the year was 2009 when they deployed. And when they were there, one of the, one of the things that they did just to pass time was to toss around ideas of what they wanted to do when they retired from the military. And and one of the things that they came up with was, let's start a brewery. So they, they decided they were going to just create the mental exercise of, of developing a business plan. Um, it was mostly for them to, to keep their minds busy and to occupy, you know, to keep exercising their brains. And, right. um, and they had very, very little access to any factual information when they were over there. So it's kind of a, a joke here that the business plan for this company was created with a lot of made-up fictitious numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm assuming uh, they didn't because, have like internet, or at least a lot of internet access to to, to actually research um, what the no, no. cost, etc. Yeah, they you know they had some internet access, but generally when they had access, it was to uh, to, to correspond with your family, you know, back home. Um, so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for them to to get real hard and fast numbers to create this business plan with. Um, but when they came back to Vermont, they started looking into was this an actual viable um, opportunity for them. Um, one of the things that Stephen did early on was he met with a local land, with a local real estate uh, owner here in, in St. Albans who was looking to lease some space, and the amount that he was asking for for rent wasn't something that Stephen felt comfortable paying. Um, one, having not had any experience starting a new business, um, and two, not having any idea if there was even going to be anyone receptive to their beer. So he negotiated a lower payment with this with this um, uh, landlord uh, in exchange for some products. So so they started the brewery. Um, so of, so where were you when all of this was happening, and what so was going on in your life? So he and I had had a number. 
Uh, so I was working for a pharmaceutical company. I had been there about 10 years when they started this company. And I had finished uh, my bachelor's degree and I, I was working on my master's degree when, when he and I had initial discussions about whether or not he should start the brewery. And one of the things to know is we had, uh, there was a teacher that I had in high school when, who coincidentally was his best friend's father um, all through high school uh, who was dying of cancer. And one of the lessons that Stephen took from him was that, uh, you know, our time here is short. So if mm. there's something that, that you're passionate about that you really want to do, don't put it off. You know, you, tomorrow's never promised to anyone. So um, the lesson that he got from Mr. Ostrander's passing was that if this is something that I really want to do, I really just need to do it. Um, and, and he and I had a few conversations about it. And the risk at the time while it was there was it wasn't as, um, it wasn't something that would completely deter him. It wasn't a huge risk. Yes, there was the rent that he was going to be paying. There was going to be, you know, raw material costs. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the risk itself wasn't huge. And so especially doing the brewing, uh, you know, him and his buddy were going to be the, the main brewers. They were going to be the ones that were taking time, um, you know, in the evenings, one night a week or two nights a week or a Sunday morning to come in and brew some beer and, and to see how it went. Um, Tell me about how you go from being a home brewer to mass production. Sure. We received our manufacturer's license from the state of Vermont in May of 2012. Um, we were brewing on equipment that was constructed out of maple sugaring, uh, maple sap collection tanks. Are you serious? How is that? <laughs> yes, it was uh, our father. So when our father retired from the military, he picked up a second career as a maple syrup producer uh, and broker here in St. Albans and was pretty successful with it. And um, so when Stephen wanted to start the brewery, you know, he started looking at some of the design of the, the, the collection tanks and thought, wow, you know, with just some heating elements and, and, and a few other modifications, we could actually use this. Uh, and so that's what he did. He, he handmade all of the brewing equipment. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of ingenuity here. It, it still amazes me to this day. That's really um, cool. So, there, it's very cool. You know, that, that saying where there's a will, there's a way, um, it definitely holds true here. So by early 2012, Steve had filled out all the necessary state and local paperwork. Uh, I understand he borrowed some funds from his retirement and established 14 Star. Yeah. And set it up on... Lower Newton Street in St. Albans? Yes. So it's actually less than a mile from our current location. And it was this tiny little 1,200-square-foot space that had uh, previously been a, a, a mechanic shop. And that 1,200-square feet encompassed the entire brewery, the, the brew house, the cellar, cold storage, raw material storage, as well as the tasting room. And it was amazing to see... Um, when, when doors first opened, people were curious. People wanted to know what this was all about. There hadn't really been a, a brewery here in St. Albans in, in well over a decade. Um, and they wanted to know, you know, who was, who was this 
young veteran who, you know, served his country and now he wants to serve there. So it's one thing to get curious people to the door, but how quickly were you growing? So interest grew pretty rapidly and so did the local market. Um, you know, we were getting requests to distribute and uh, it wasn't long before almost all of the restaurants here in St. Albans were carrying our beer and, and local bars as well. They would keep, you know, one of our beers on tap as fast as we could make it. They would take it. What do you think that the time, I, interest though? Because I'm assuming... Uh, I think a lot of it has to do... St. Albans is a very, very proud town. Uh, there's a lot of support locally here in this community for seeing local community members succeed. And, and it continues to grow. That, that desire to see this local community succeed just continues to grow. Um, and so when there was the opportunity for a local resident to do something new and innovative, there was a lot of interest. There was a, there was a lot of um, interest, one, in, in the people, and two, in the product. And St. Albans and Franklin County as a whole is a very patriotic county. Uh, there is a lot of support for our military. Uh, and we have a huge, huge population of those that are current or past serving in our military. So, you know, the idea that, you know, here are these two guys that went off to war and that came back, you know, they're making beer and and from the very beginning have decided to um, help some veteran charities along the way, um, from the very beginning have been involved with Purple Hearts Reunited. Um, which is an organization that was started by another local soldier by the name of Zach Fike. Just digressing a little, but can you tell me a little bit more about Zach and Purple Hearts Reunited? Yes. Um, he started noticing the sheer number of medals of valor that were being sold as trinkets and, and, um, uh, and novelties on eBay and in um, pawn shops and, and, and you know, as a soldier, the meaning behind those medals of valor is—it's—it's it's very intense. It's—it's very—it's uh, very personal. And to see these things being treated as just a bauble uh, really bothered Zach. And so he took it upon himself, with funds from his own pocket, to start locating these and purchasing these medals of valor, and then locating the families or the soldiers. Um, in a lot of cases, the soldiers had passed. So he would locate the families of the soldier to return that medal to, to its rightful owner. Oh, whether wow. it was That's the soldier fantastic. that And so right from the very beginning, um, Steve decided that, you know, this was something that 14 Star could help with. Um, and our valor, which is the, our flagship beer, a portion of the proceeds from every single batch of that that we make goes to support Purple Hearts Reunited, uh, as well as our, our tap room has hosted their annual Calcutta, and we do random fundraisers here and there um, where a portion of the proceeds will go to Purple Hearts Reunited because what he's doing um, just has such an impact on so many people. I'm going to fast forward a little bit there and uh, just touch on, on that aspect of it. Uh, I know that um, the best businesses are not just ones that make money but also make a difference. and. 14 Star is uh, an organization with a large social conscience. And uh, you, you've talked about uh, Purple Hearts Reunited Foundation, but then you've also been involved with uh, other 
uh, war veteran causes like uh, Make Veterans Count and the Military Appreciation. Uh, yeah. Why, I know you've got a, the military background, but uh, why is it important to you and to 14 Star to have this uh, social conscience? Well, you know, so part of it is because we both grew up in this area. This is, you know, this is where, where we grew up. This is where, as teenagers, we hung out. This is, and this is where we chose to raise our families. So we definitely have a responsibility to this community um, and, and to every community that we're in, whether it's our veteran community, our local St. Albans community, or the state of Vermont as a whole. Um, you know, <laughs> we've, we've always wanted to make sure that no matter what we do, we're providing something back to those that provide us with the opportunity to do what we love to do. You know, without our consumers, we can't brew beer without the people that, that support us and follow our story and, and share our beers with other people. And there's a responsibility that we have to, to give back to them because they've given us so much. Um, and, and the same with the military, you know. They are the reason why we can do what we do. They are truly those that protect and serve, that allow us the freedom to make beer if we want to make beer. They allow us the opportunity to raise funds for a local heart uh, heart defect patient if we want to raise funds for a local resident. You know, th the reason that we can do what we do is because we live in a country that allows us to do it because of the people that protect and, and fight for those rights to allow us to do what we do. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more there. Um, so, how did the name 14th Star come up? So, Vermont is the 14th state in the Union. Uh, after the first, the original 13 colonies, Vermont was the next state to become a state. Um, at the time that Vermont became a state, uh, Congress had been flying the 13 star flag, the Betsy Ross flag, where it has the 13 stars in a circle. And being the 14th state, we wanted representation on the flag. So we had asked Congress if, if there could be, a, a, you know, a new flag uh, made. But Kentucky was already in the process of becoming the 15th state. So Congress wouldn't, uh, wouldn't allow it. So being the proud and stubborn Vermonters that we are, uh, we took that 13-star flag and threw a big old star in the middle and created our own flag and flew that. Uh, even though we, we, we shouldn't have been. <laughs> but it was, it, you know, when I talk about Vermonters being proud and, and, um, that, that, that's just a really early symbol of what people here in Vermont are capable of. And so very few of those flags are in existence. However, it's a great symbol of who we are as a people here in the state of Vermont. Exactly. I mean, uh, we're proud. We're proud people, and we do things our way. And you know, it's it's great that this tradition has started a long time ago. So really cool stuff. And Thank so, you. when Steve asked you to join Fourteen Star, uh, you already had a really great job by the sounds of things, and uh, you risked 
all of that, leaving a secure job uh, to start a new business in an industry where I'm assuming you had, other than maybe tasting Steve's beers and uh, <laughs> a couple of nights out on, on the town, you had no experience in uh, either beer making or brewing or running a, a brewery. So what made you yeah. decide to take the leap and what made you confident <laughs> in the success of what you saw? Um. So right from the very beginning, I used to come. I used to go to the old brewery, to the small um, startup brewery, and and uh, it was kind of a social thing for me. On occasion, they would need me to fill growlers and and open the doors, you know, when they had family um, responsibilities that they had to take care of. Um, and it was fun, you know, it was fun getting to to know the customers and and to learn about craft beer. And but you're absolutely right. When I when I was offered this position. Um, I had very, very little knowledge of the craft beer industry. Um, other than a few tastings, uh, I really didn't know much at all. I was at a pharmaceutical company. At that, by the time I started working here, I had been with a pharmaceutical company for 12 years. Uh, it was just very, felt very stagnant in my position. I was a project manager in R&D, and it was, you know, it was kind of the same thing day in and day out. And I didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of personal interaction. And I've often said that I'm, I'm a people person. I'm not necessarily a process person. Um, I had just finished my master's degree uh, in business management with a with a concentration in human resource management. So when I found out that they were expanding, I had actually hoped to uh, somehow come on board in, in a human resource role. I was never going to put Stephen in a position, though, uh, of having to tell me, you know, Says I love you, but no, we can't work together. So I never said anything to him. <laughs> I was just secretly hoping that you know he would ask me. And in fact, um, I was helping him to identify people and skill sets that would be helpful in running the the brewery. And actually, it was his friend one day that he was talking with him. He said, "You know, man, I wish you could find someone like my sister to run the brewery." And his friend said, "Well." Have you asked your sister? Um, and so that's, that's kind of how it all took place. And when I did take the job, I had no idea what I was going to be paid. I had no idea if I was going to have any kind of benefit, uh, vacation, anything like that. And coming from a pharmaceutical industry where, you know, I knew my paycheck was solid um, every two weeks. I knew, you know, what my health insurance benefits were. And um, it was a big risk, but I felt like there was an opportunity not just for me to do something great for this community, but also to grow personally. Um, I I was in a job where I struggled every day, you know, Monday through Friday, going to work, and I knew that this was going to be an opportunity to, for me to feel passionate about what I was doing again, especially knowing that Stephen and I shared similar views on the corporate social responsibility. So I knew that there was going to be the opportunity for me not to just help my brother to grow this really great business and not just an opportunity for us to provide more jobs here in St. Albans, but also for us to be able to uh, highlight and, and give people a place to go that want to do something. So one of the things that I found since working here is that so many people want to get actively involved in helping other people. They just don't know where to go. They don't, they don't know where to start. So being able to be that resource for them is huge. People come out in droves when when we when we do something. So um, I, I didn't hesitate to jump ship when he made me the offer. Um, 
in, in the last, it's been about two and a half years, it has been an incredible opportunity for me to learn about the brewing industry, but also as an opportunity for me to learn about people, uh, both that work for me and the people that we serve out in the public. Do you think that your MBA um, has done anything to help you, or do you think you would have been able to do the same work without an MBA? Um, I think I think both. I think uh, a lot of what I've learned, you can't learn in a book. Um, a lot of what I've learned has been, especially with the craft beer industry um, exploding the way that it has, uh, there's, there's very little uh, historical information to pull from. But absolutely, my MBA has been valuable um, as far as giving me the foundation for operations. You know, it, it, it provided an opportunity for me to learn, um, you know, uh, between revenue and expenses and, and how to balance and and looking at, you know, inventory and what, what should be kept on hand. And it, it, that provided a really good um, ground floor basis. Do I think that everybody has to have an MBA to run a company? Absolutely not. Uh, there are people that just innately have that um, that ability to make really good judgment calls like that. Do I think that I have that ability? I'm not quite sure. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, that I had that foundation. Um, but a lot of what I learned, um, I wasn't able to learn in a book. And, and like I said, our, our corporate social responsibility has been a huge part of that. Um, you know, we make beer, and, and, and we're in the business of making beer. That's what we make. But we build communities, and we've been able to build a wonderfully strong community here in St. Albans that my MBA couldn't have prepared me for. Right. So on the subject of building communities, in late 2014-ish, uh, your expansion plans dovetailed with the revitalization taking place in downtown St. Albans. And uh, yep. 14 Star revived a rather nondescript strip mall there uh, that had been sitting idle. And you took over the closed bowling alley and opened your brewery and tap room. Can you tell me a little bit more yep. about that and uh, about the process of raising money to build all of that and to get the right equipment? And just wanting to know whether it was a ramen noodles every night kind of situation as you were bootstrapping the business. <laughs> Um, I don't know so much ramen noodles, but it definitely was not um, it definitely was not ribeye steaks. Um, we um, so no steak and potatoes every we, night then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, we when when we were looking for a place to expand to uh, the bowling alley that had been in this community for over forty years um, was closing shop, and most people wouldn't necessarily equate. Uh, moving a brewery into an old bowling alley space. But it was a huge space that was basically everything was being completely torn out. You know, there wasn't anything really worth salvaging of, of the bowling alley. Uh, so for the simple fact that, you know, it, it had, it had, all of the equipment had lived its life. Um, and so everything, it was going to be pretty much a blank space, which was something that we needed. And then there's, you know, the, the water allocation and the sewer. So, you know, having that available to us was big. And raising funds for it, um, we took on uh, some investors. And they've been um, wonderful 
wonderful to work with. They're very interested in what we do. They're very supportive of our current and future growth, but allowing us to grow through our vision. So it's been a, it's been a wonderful match. And, and we also took on some pretty hefty loans, some, some pretty hefty debt, because the, the brewing equipment itself, you know, when you go from a 1,200-square-foot, three-and-a-half-barrel brew system to 16,000-square-foot, 30-barrel brew house that requires a significant equipment investment. Luckily, uh, almost as soon as we started brewing here, we started to see a return on that investment. Um, our, the demand for our product had grown significantly to the point where we were able to start distributing throughout the entire state of Vermont almost right after we started brewing here in this new space. And so we've, we've added a little every year. And so in the last two years, we've added a couple of extra 60-barrel fermenters. We've added a 90-barrel fermenter and bright tank. We um, started canning our own beers, or we started canning beer um, at the end of 2014, the demand for it has grown significantly to the point where we purchased our own canning line this year in September, which was a, a hefty investment. But the amount that we were spending using a mobile canner, uh, it was just, it was definitely justifiable to put in our own canning line. And so the growth since we've been in this space has been nothing short of incredible. <laughs> when you're in the day-to-day, -day, you don't really think much about it. It's just, you, you know, you're just doing it. Um, but when I sit back and I think back to when we first pulled the trigger on brewing in here in October of 2014, what, what we've accomplished in just over two years is sometimes leaves me speechless. Yeah, I can imagine. And, um, I mean, when you're probably looking at the sort of numbers the dollar value of the loans that you're taking out and then some of the revenues that you're bringing in, it must just uh, be mind-boggling to, to imagine that five years ago you basically didn't exist. It, it, it is. Uh, it's amazing to me. Um, I, I often joke that I don't sleep well on the 1st and the 15th of every month. <laughs> um, <laughs> simply because, you know, when you, when you look at those numbers, they're large numbers, you know, they're in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and um, you know, a small town girl from Highgate to be looking at, at both the revenue coming in in large numbers and, and the expenses going out in large numbers, um, it can be kind of nerve-wracking, <laughs> to say the least. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so how how important is it to you to to run your own vision? You talked about the fact that you had investors, um, and uh, I'm assuming they probably sit at, on the board and have a say in what happens, but uh, you talked about you want to run the company your way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, sure. Um, we've been very, very fortunate with our investors in the fact that their ideas and ideals for 14th Star align very well with ours. Um, they are absolutely committed to this community as well. Um, as a majority of these investors in this group come from this community. So the, the idea that we are um, creating jobs and, and, and in increasing the revenue and the economy in St. Albans as well as helping to support families and, and, and charities that they know and that they grew up with, 
their ideas for what we can do in this community very, very much mirror our own. Um, so yeah, they do sit on the board. Each investor in this company has their own set of expertise. You know, we have presidents of large companies. Uh, we have school teacher. Uh, so they come from all walks of life, um, and they all have their own set of expertise. And we are so fortunate that we can pull from that, and that we are still given the the opportunity to move forward with our vision um, because their vision and ours so closely align. Right, right. So um, one of your top sellers, uh, Tribute WIPA, was rated outstanding by the website Beer Advocate and, the, and also won gold medal at the 2015 Tastings World Beer Championships. And then uh, Maple Breakfast Stout also won a silver medal at the same World Championships. Can you tell me what that feeling was like and when you found out that you'd won and kind of how you guys celebrated? It's always amazing to hear wonderful things about your beer. You know, one of the things that I fear that we haven't done a good enough job at is promoting just how good our beer is. You know, we talk about the things that we do in the community. We talk about our veteran base. Uh, but what we what we don't tell a lot is how talented our brewers are and how good and, and consistently good our beer is. Um, so to have Beer Advocate rate tribute the way that they did or to have it win a gold medal and Maple Breakfast out to win a silver, um, that's really a feeling you it, that's very, very hard to describe. Just the amount of pride mm. that you have, not only um, in the product itself, but in the very capable and talented people that we have that create that beer. You know, um, my hand is in a lot of things here. However, brewing is not one of them. Um, <laughs> and I absolutely am amazed at the talent uh, that, that these brewers have. I, I tend to think of them as like um, the TV show Iron Chef, where they, they, they get this one ingredient and they have to create this uh, amazing dish. Yeah. These guys have that same talent. They're able to devise recipes that pull flavors from things just just from malt and hops without adding anything else. They create such complexity of flavor and, and a consistently quality beer that I'm I'm simply amazed by their talent. So the, these Brewmasters, uh, do they wear robes and like uh, just only come out at night? Uh, <laughs> what do these guys look like? Uh, um, so there, it's funny. There is a um, there is a, a common stereotype uh, amongst Vermont brewers that they have big beards. Uh, many of them have long hair, and uh, almost all of them wear flannel shirts. Um, wow, and I'm all for three right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be lying if I didn't say that uh, majority of our brewers uphold that stereotype. <laughs> they're just, you know, they're they're everyday. Uh, just most of them are local. Um, Dan, our brewmaster, grew up in Franklin, which is a town northeast of here. Um, his mom was the local elementary, or still is the local elementary school secretary. Um, you know, he, but he's just 
phenomenally talented when it comes to creating really great beer. And these are the um, guys that are brewing world-class beers. Uh, that's, I mean, it blows my mind. Yeah. He, um, you know, he, he started his brewing uh, under other really great brewers, like the brewers at Von Trapp, JP. He learned from him. He, he worked alongside with uh, Alan from, from Lost Nation, you know, but he really has a phenomenal way of just creating really solid beers. And he's, he's very meticulous, very much a perfectionist when it comes to the beers that he creates. And everything that he does, he does with an eye toward quality. And, um, you know, that's something I think that you can learn to an extent. But if you don't have that in you to begin with, you don't get beers this quality um, by accident. In closing, uh, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. Um, if you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself? Uh, well, that's an interesting one. Um, enjoy the ride. It's funny, when I, when, when I look back at my time um, at the pharmaceutical company, there were many, many times where I put in for other opportunities and was, for one reason or another, uh, they were they were given to someone else. And I remember being hurt and upset and angry and, and you know, all of those emotions. Um, however, all of those opportunities that, are, that, that I was passed on led me to where I am today. So I don't know that I would... I would other than don't spend a lot of time regretting or or um, or being upset and angry, there's a reason why what didn't happen didn't happen. Mm. Just preparing you for what's going to happen. So I think that would be more than anything. That would be my my one word of advice to myself: is just enjoy every moment. That's that's great. That's great advice. Um, so. Would you like to share how people can learn more about you and about uh, 14 Star Brewing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so our Facebook page and our Instagram feed are actually the best ways that they can learn about us. Uh, we post everything on Facebook that we have going on, whether it's a charitable event, whether it's uh, local music here in our tap room, um, the menu for the barbecue company that we have that operates out of our kitchen, um, we, uh, we have an event space that people can rent for parties and, and weddings and what have you, um, as well as any new beer releases. That all gets shared out on social media. Uh, our website is actually going to be undergoing a whole new facelift. So right now it's not a great place to go for information, but hopefully in the next month or so um, it, it, it'll be another resource for people. Um, and absolutely stop by our tap room. If nothing else, I love to sit back and watch the interactions that take place in this community right here in our own tap room. You know, we have a 2,400 square foot pub that bring in all walks of life. And to sit back on a Friday night and watch lawyers interacting with local farmers, interacting with uh, tourists coming down from Montreal or skiers from New Jersey, um, it is such a great melting pot of the community and those visiting the community that that it's one trip to the tap room and you'll come back again. 
Super. Um, so, Andrea, it's been a real pleasure having you on my show. And I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, independent brewers do more than just deliver fresh local beer to their consumers. Uh, you provide significant economic benefits to the local economies as well. Um, but 14 Star has also gone beyond that. Um, from being the 23rd licensed brewery in the state of Vermont, you are now one of the most sought after breweries. Uh, but not only do you make good beers, but you also are doing it in a socially responsible manner and with a socially responsible mission. So I wish you continued success because your success translates to our success. And I'd like to encourage everyone who is listening to this podcast to go out either to their local watering hole or to your brewery and to buy a few cans, not just to support the local uh, company, but also our veterans. And uh, thank you again for your time. Please pass my greetings to the little professor. And I look forward to maybe throwing back a a 14-star brewski with you in the not-so-distant future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Next time on the podcast, On the Shoulders of Giants, I welcome to the show Olympic gold medalist and record-tying mogul skier Hannah Kearney to talk about the highs and lows of being a professional athlete. When you're actually there, competing is nothing like it is on TV. It's actually much more of a hassle. You're going through metal detectors and you're wearing these big credentials and there's security guards everywhere. It's intimidating and it's way different in a sport like Molokina. I tried to just be like, oh, it's just any other event. And I didn't really embrace the fact that it's actually quite different because millions of people are watching. Um, and I sort of, I think that I tried to just deny its importance to me. I mean, I was also a 19-year-old, so there's some immaturity that plays a role, too. And so I just sort of kept it bottled all up inside, like, just treat it like any other competition. And I actually felt, like, physically ill the whole time I was there. I was there. My, um, looking back, I also didn't prepare properly. I had graduated high school the year before, so I spent a year kind of not training, not on purpose, but I all of a sudden didn't have soccer and track in my life anymore. And I was just a little bit, I was a little bit lost. Skiing was all, the only thing in my life, and I wasn't used to that. I was used to balancing it. So it was a combination of not really being adequately prepared. Um, and it was also, numbers are just a very difficult thing to prepare for, so uh, mentally. So I was not physically or mentally prepared. Um, in my qualifying run, I landed my top jump, and I just hit a mogul really abruptly, like probably too stiffly, and it like threw me out of the course. And so, yeah, I got third to last place. And unfortunately, you have to wait four more years um, if you don't have a, a good day. So it can all be over in a split second, which is, it's, which is true to most Olympic sports, and it, which is why it's so fascinating to watch and why there's so many human stories, um, because we all train, every athlete trains really, really hard, and it, it, there's glory or defeat. Um, within a moment of each other.